Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, kids. Uh, welcome back. It's week number two. Who knew? I mean, I was hoping, but here we are. Week number two, back on the Nation Network. It is just a game. I am Rob Curran. You know who you are. Uh, this, by the way, we are in the Oodle Noodle Studios. Uh, it is uh, Monday towards the end of February and five days away from the National Hockey League trade deadline. Um, but you, you'd you have to tell the general managers that who were somewhat, un, I guess, surprised. They thought yesterday was the trade deadline as the National Hockey League uh, saw a number of trades, and, and actually have seen a couple here today, too. So uh, we will get into those. We're going to dive deep into it with Ryan Pike coming up uh, in about an hour or so. Uh, very excited. Um, in a little while, Adam Seaborn is going to join us, uh, a sports marketing expert, a sports business expert. Lots to talk about with with Adam, and I've actually been waiting to get him on the show He's a great follow on Twitter. If you if you want to keep track of trends and things that are happening and and who's buying ads and how the industry is 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 holding up, he's a really good follow. So I'm really excited to have him on the program. Um, let's let's get into it. Uh, not a great weekend if you are a fan of the local hockey heroes. Uh, the Calgary Flames falling in Colorado, four uh, one. In a way, the first three minutes was a microcosm of their season. They dropped the puck, and the Flames went right after him. They carried the play. They got the puck deep. They cycled. They did all of the things that they want to do, um, which is really, really exciting uh, if you're a Flames fan, except score. And then the first opportunity uh, goes the other way, and Nathan McKinnon, great shot. You know, if it was the middle of the second period or the late first period, nobody would be saying anything. But first shot of the game beats Markstrom. Seventh time this year that Jacob Markstrom has been beaten on the uh, first shot of the game. Uh, well, not a record. It's a hell of an average. Uh, so certainly uh, some concern continues. And it's funny. We did the uh, afterburner program uh, on Thursday night when the Flames lost in overtime to Vegas. And that was one of the questions that that Dean posed. I mean, clearly Vladar had played back-to-back and back-to-back nights. He would get the net again. I wondered if they would go back to Markstrom. I had no information. I had no real diehard, you know, wasn't sitting on it, but he got it. Um, Very curious to see what happens the rest of the week. I find it hard to believe that Vladar won't be in the net against his former club, Boston, tomorrow, and, and again against Toronto 
on Thursday and the trade deadline on Friday. So the question begs itself, the question begs itself, uh, what happens now? If you are the Calgary Flames, as as we are recording this very program, understanding that you may listen to it at a different time, as we are recording this very program, they are four points back at Seattle for the eighth and final playoff spot, the second wildcard spot in the West. They are two points up on the Nashville Predators, uh, who are in 10th. Uh, but here's the hook. The Preds still with three games in hand. They started last week. Six points back of the Flames with three games in hand. They start this week, two points back of the Flames with three games in hand. And they're selling. And and they're selling. So, you know, you got that going for you. Um, I'm going to do this. Just a thought as we look at what's happening around the league. We can get into the deals, and maybe we'll do that with uh, Ryan Pike a little later on. But we're starting to see some trends here, aren't we? Um, the biggest one is is the players being placed out of the lineup for the purposes of trades. Uh, it started with Jacob Chikrin in, uh, in Arizona. It has since spread throughout the league. Um, very curious to see if the NHL addresses this, finds this to be an issue. I haven't heard a groundswell of complaining. I think most people understand why it's being done. And it's been done in the past, but not to the same. I mean, I don't think Chikrin's played in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Patrick Kane's gone home. This one's this one's cool too. We're all waiting for Patrick Kane to get traded to the Rangers. It's kind of like a slow motion car accident. You can you can see it in real time happening before your own eyes. They had to move out cap. They've had to move some things. They uh, they've now got the potential of a a, a a suspension coming, which may or may not impact their their day to day salary cap. Uh, we do know that by the trade deadline, the Chicago Blackhawks could trade uh, Patrick Kane to the Rangers. They would have enough cap space, so we're watching that. But maybe, arguably, the biggest thing that happened heading into this trade deadline was the deal last night. Not the Timo Meyer deal. The Timo Meyer deal was the one that we thought might reset the market, might shake it all up. Timo Meyer goes from San Jose to New Jersey. Lots of players involved, a conditional first round in there. There's, you know, it's a hockey trade. It's We've seen it before. A lot of the names, I got to be honest with you, don't recognize. But uh, the people that do recognize it say, yeah, they're, they're capable players. Some of them will play in the NHL. Uh, win-win for both sides, hard to say. Timo Meyer is obviously the best player by a country mile in this deal. But it was really the trade that took place after that uh, involving the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Nashville Predators uh Tanner Janot, who uh everybody loves everybody loves your you you, you gotta love a, a tough guy played Moose Jaw uh played Nestevan you know kind of prairie kid uh you know has put over a hundred minutes on in penalties in, in an NHL season which is nowadays kind of a big deal scored 20 I think 24 goals a couple years ago this year in Nashville 56 games five goals nine assists 89 penalty minutes minus one that's that's 14 total points. 56 games, 14 total points. What did the Tampa Bay Lightning give up? Cal Foot, first round pick in 25, second round pick in 24, their third, their fourth, and their fifth pick this year. Five draft picks and a prospect for a guy with 14 points. Yes, he can fight, but he has 14 points. You really have to look beyond the pale on this one. This one, you know, it, it reminds me of some of the conversations we heard after the NBA trade deadline. Geez, why can't the NHL deadline be more like the 
NBA deadline. They just throw picks in like crazy. They throw. Well, I'll tell you what, if I hope you saw it, the DFO rundown, daily faceoff rundown with Jason Greger and uh, Frank Saravelli earlier today. Frank brings up a really interesting stat that may explain Tampa's thinking in all of this. Let's let's take a listen, shall we? Throw a stat at you. I had an NHL GM say this to me on Friday. Once you get past pick number 24 in the draft, you have a 2.4% chance of that pick playing 100 games or more in the NHL. 2.4%. So what are the odds that you think your team and your scouting staff can make a one in 50 pick? Yeah, well, that, that, that's a little misleading because if they're second rounders and there's, you know, second rounders still are at 14%, right? It drops no, off. I'm telling you what the entire, uh, yeah, yeah, the entire but, one. but, but you have five selections now to make a one in 50 pick. Now, yeah, Tampa Bay is assuming that uh, in two more years, they still won't be, a, a, they'll still be a top eight team, which is a fair but bet. They, they, they lottery protected it anyway. That's yeah. why they did it. Cause they're saying on the off chance, they were not any good by 2025. We're lottery protecting it. No, no. I meant they could, they could lose in the first round of the playoffs rank and then be like the 22nd pick is all I'm saying. So it would technically uh, fall in sure. the top 24. Okay. <laughs> it's a great point. It really is a great point. Um, you know, Jason jumped in with the, well, the second round, and he's right, 14% of playing, uh, you know, chance of a second round pick playing 100 by the time you get to the seventh round. Yes, I know all about the, um, you know, the the Joe Pavelskis, and I know all about the Johnny Gaudreau's taken in the fourth round, and yes, and yes, and yes, it can happen. But when you look historically at a team over 10 years, you know, how many, the Flames have done pretty good you know, with second round picks, Shillington and Anderson, and I believe Mangiapane was a sixth round pick and and they've hit on some of those, but after the 24th pick in the first round, 2.4% chance that a player chosen after that will play a hundred games in the national hockey league. Julian Brisebois, general manager of the Tampa Bay lightning doesn't care about your draft picks. He doesn't. He knows where his team's going to be. He knows where his team should be, and they don't care. Just if you're curious, because I was, the next two years, Tampa has a sixth-round pick this year and two seventh rounds, one from Anaheim. Next year, a third round, Chicago's fourth, a fifth, sixth, and seventh pick. And then in 25, they have their own second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. They needed the player. They needed that player. If we've learned anything from the Tampa Bay Lightning over the last couple of years, and we knew it before. I mean, it goes all the way back to 04 here, the importance of your third and fourth line. It, Anaheim in 2007 really demonstrated it with Niedermeyer, Moan. You have to, if you're going to be a team that goes a long way, you have to have difference makers in your third and fourth line. And Tampa's success, I suppose, is that not only are they difference makers, they're pissy to play against. They're tough to play against. They they drag you into every battle. Corey Perry's down there. Janot's going to be fit in perfectly there. And I think this is a signal, at least to me, that the, the times they're changing. The thinking is changing. We saw, what was it yesterday, in the neighborhood of four or five significant trades. We saw another one today as uh, Toronto's picked up Jake McCabe from Chicago. 
five days to go. Who's left to trade? Well, Chikrin's out there, Kane's out there, and then a whole bunch of the other ones that we don't really talk about before they get made will get made. But I think quietly, there's a little bit of uh, a change in the air. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, a difference that is happening. And I would say that Julian Breezebois has just laid it out NBA-like. Just don't value the picks. They could be, they would be, they should be, all of those sort of things, but they're not. And now with so much analytical data at the fingertips of general managers and so much historical analytical data, they are very confident valuing those picks. Again, Timo Meyer. Timo Meyer got you uh, four Four players, a conditional first and 23, a conditional second and 24 that could go to a first and a seventh round pick. A couple that could play in the NHL, but nobody that's going to change the true dynamic of the San Jose Sharks. Yet, the Nashville Predators, who are two points back of the Flames and six points back of a playoff spot with games in hand on everybody, sold off Niederreiter and Juneau, got a second round pick for Niederreiter and then First, second, third, fourth, fifth. They're piling up the picks. They are piling up the picks. So watch it, kids. I think I think we've we've seen a significant uh, change in what is happening. A significant, uh, you know. I'm still I, listen. Frank and his gang have a, a have a, a show coming up on Friday, a trade deadline show from ten to two o'clock uh, Mountain Time, and I think it'll be well worth your time. Stuff will happen. Again, and we'll get into it with Ryan Pike in a little later. What are the Flames going to do? I think we all think we know what the Flames are going to do. I think we all think we know what they should do, but what are they going to do? Because as much as you, the fan or the media or any of us might value keeping your powder dry and, you know, wait until next year and maybe sell off a few and build and stuff like that. That's not necessarily what ownership and management and, and everybody, you know, there's a lot of money to be made by getting to the playoffs. Uh, and, and there's a lot of get in and, and, and let her ride mentality in pro sports. So it's, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what happens in the, the next five days. Um, last week we did our first three shows. Just want to highlight the first one uh, a week ago tomorrow, tomorrow, actually Tuesday. If you, if you didn't go back and check it out, please do uh, right at the tail end of that podcast, the manifesto, of what this show's all about uh, the second show a week from this past when or this past Wednesday, I should say um, we talked with David leg from Mount Royal university about this city needing a hero. Huh? Had an interesting conversation today with um, somebody at city hall about that. So, uh, there's something there's a there there there's something to that there's something that needs to get going in this city and uh, and other people are beginning to talk about it so i'm kind of excited about that and then on on friday if you didn't catch it i i highly encourage you to do it perry barizan was kind enough to join us told us some great stories about the 86 and and the 80s teams but really we got into a really neat discussion about um you know social issues and nhl players from a player's perspective, not from the should you support or shouldn't you support these social issues, but more from how does it impact a player? Does a player want to be involved? And I've got a lot of feedback from a lot of people that enjoyed that conversation, mostly because we listened to each other. We allowed each other to have an opinion. Um, 
I believe our guest is here. So if nobody minds, I'm going to jump right into it because ever since this thing that we're doing, just a game, by the way, for Oodle Noodle, we mentioned Oodle Noodle, local, loved, and delicious. Since opening their first store back in 2005, Oodle Noodle has been all flavor and just the right amount of weird. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest, 105 Main Street North and Airdrie, pickup and delivery. As I was saying, ever since this thing became a thing, this is a guy I wanted to get on. Um, But before we do that, I want to play this because it makes me laugh. It's back when the Simpsons are irrelevant, and it really will tie into the first topic today. So uh, just something maybe to, to set the tone for our next conversation is the DJ 3000. It plays CDs automatically, and it has three distinct varieties of inane chatter. Hey, hey, how about that weather out there? Whoa, that was the caller from hell. Well, hot dog, we have a wiener. Man, that thing's great. Don't praise the machine. If you don't get that kid an elephant by tomorrow, the DJ 3000 gets your job. You know, um... Like those clowns in Congress did it again. (laughs) What a bunch of clouds. <laughs> Anybody who's worked in radio knows that uh, there's a bunch of lines in there that we repeat over. Don't praise the machine. I'm very pleased that Adam Seaborn can make some time for us today. He's a sports media analyst. He's the head of partnerships for Playmaker Capital. In full uh, disclosure, Playmaker Capital is the owners of the Nation Network. Having said that, he will be speaking uh, at Podcast Movement in Las Vegas coming up March 9th, and he joins us now. Adam, a pleasure to have you on the show, sir. A pleasure to meet you. I'm a big fan of of you on Twitter and, and the information you provide. So thanks for making some time for us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rob. And I'm I'm also a big fan of that Simpsons clip. It's uh, it's been making the round the rounds a lot the last 24 hours. Yeah, it has, and it's funny because when I saw I I saw your note, and we'll get to it in a second here. And that's the first thing that popped into my mind is once again that program has predicted the future. Uh, you got a lot of people talking yesterday when you uh, disclosed that Rogers Sports and Media is going to start using a product or a service called Radio GPT. Can you explain to us what that is? Yeah, it it read a little bit like a Beaverton or an Onion headline, didn't it? Um, It did. So so, so Radio GPT being a play on ChatGPT, the recent uh, AI bot from OpenAI that's kind of taken the world by storm if if people aren't familiar with it. But yes, Rogers is one of a handful of companies that is testing a new AI-driven radio program tool. So... Rogers Sports and Media and other radio stations all across North America and the world have used a variety of kind of AI assist technologies to help program, to help pull news stories. This is kind of a, a leap further than that. Um, so you can go on my Twitter at AHBC and you'll see that little clip. But you'll also see below hand a link to a YouTube video uh, where Spotify really well demonstrates what the AI can do. Spotify is trying this as well. Ironically enough, they're trying to be more like radio. Radio is maybe trying to be more like Spotify. Um, but what it is is going to be an AI-based uh, you know, research tool that's going to scrape the, the web and social for news stories. It's going to turn those into scripts and actually broadcast that script into you know, in, in a voice of some kind on stations. It's unclear what stations Rogers is going to be testing this on. Uh, there's a company in the United States that's doing it as well. Unclear if it's actually going to go live, or if they're going to be testing it behind the scenes to see, you know, if anybody notices or if it's worthwhile. But uh, something that I think has, you know, per your Simpsons clip, being, uh, yeah. being in the consciousness for a long time, I don't think we actually thought was going to happen, but it appears to be here. 
Adam, there is a little bit of history with sport and artificial intelligence because there wasn't there a couple of years ago uh, a program similar or the same that that wrote um, college sports stories for small that that, that that learned to do that, that could do, you know, sports stories that, that weren't major events and, and were kind of eliminating some of the part time jobs in newspapers. Yeah, and it's not just sports specific, right? So a few weeks ago, BuzzFeed, uh, you know, announced that they were going to be utilizing, I think it was ChatGPT or another AI tool to help them write some of their content, their listicle content, their, you know, non-sports uh, I don't know if I'd call it news content. They're kind of like social content. Uh, their their stock, you know, went up 300% on that news. People were excited about the use of AI, presumably because it can cut costs and save what was, you know, a pretty challenged business at BuzzFeed. But uh, this has been around in in written word for, for a little while. Uh, I don't think there's anyone out there right now uh, that's fully an AI publisher. There's not mm-hmm. uh, really a news organization that has full AI journalists, uh, but it is there to supplement journalism uh, across a number of publications across the world. And now it's making its way into audio. Where, where does this, where, where's the play for, and, and I, it doesn't have to be Rogers, but uh, wh- whoever, as a radio operator, what is the play in this? Is this just simply lowering labor costs or is there some other advantage to this? Um. You know, I, I don't know. It's hard to say that there's really another advantage to this. I don't think any listener is sitting there saying, you know what I really like is more of an AI curated, uh, you know, broadcaster. Right. I don't think there's an audience for it necessarily. So I do think it, it falls into the cost center side of things. I mean, it's no dissimilar than maybe a business moving from analog to digital years ago mm-hmm. when people were moving from paper records to digital records for, you know, customer CRM tools or, uh, you know, using going from a fax machine to email like there is an element of okay this is a new technology that we can utilize but it is kind of fundamental to the experience of of radio and being a radio listener to have a relationship with the host and if you're telling me you're going to be replacing the host entirely with an ai tool i don't think that that's much of a sell rogers is certainly not out there advertising this is a cool new feature and a reason to tune into a station um, so listen, I think it is more on the cost center side of things. And I think it is reflective of the challenges that, again, not to just pick on Rogers, the radio business yeah. as a whole is suffering. You know, there's a lot of overhead to run a radio station. You would know better than, than many, right? Yeah. Um, how much goes into getting a broadcast, you know, over the air, uh, having regulations with the CRTC in Canada, programming a station, there's a lot of overhead. And as listeners leave, you know, ad revenue leaves, radio is free over the air. So without the ad revenue, there really isn't any other revenue coming into a radio station. So as listeners leave, advertising dollars leave, as advertising dollars leave, you know, the programming gets worse, as the programming gets worse, the listeners leave, and it really becomes a bit of a death spiral. Yeah, and and thank you, because that I think is maybe, I think you led me to a better question, which is how much could this impact small radio and medium radio markets, which have long been the bastion. They've been the holdout, right, for local information, but also for local talent development. That's where you start. I started in oh, I started in Fort McMurray, but I, I worked in Esteban. We all, in you know, the traditional broadcast model was small, medium, and then large. I, yeah. I just wonder if, you know, one of the unintended consequences is you're really going to impact the broadcast pool. 
I think what's happening is you're seeing the hollowing out of the middle class of media across mm-hmm. all industries, right? So right. Um, big national broadcasters have these economies of scale and this big reach. And that really works well on you know things like television or like film distribution. To an extent, it worked for newspapers, although not really anymore. Um, works with digital publishing as well. But then there's this kind of middle tier of broadcasting groups, and maybe they have a handful of stations and a market across the country. That model is not really working anymore, but I still think the hyper local end of things works. It might just not be on the radio, right? So I still think there's a market for people to hear local stories, right? If you're, you know, in Fort McMurray or if you're in, you know, even a a larger kind of mid-tier market, I'll use like Hamilton or Victoria. Um, Those are markets that are experiencing spill from a big city. Hamilton gets a lot of spill from Toronto. Victoria gets a lot of spill from, you know, Vancouver from a business perspective. But there are local stories that are important to those people. There's also local advertisers that are looking to reach the exact people in those markets. So when we look at it that way, is there going to always be a, a media market for local? I think so. But I think the way that the media is constructed right now with these big conglomerates and this kind of like, you know, national approach is just not going to work. So this is the first step in that. First step. What what would be a timeline, do you think, Adam? I mean, are, are we a year away? Are we two years? Are we a long way away from quietly finding this being out there? I think it's going to be a, a slow drip, 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 because I okay. think there's, you know, similar to what's happening with newspapers. We saw post media shut down a number more papers yep. or, or scale back papers, you know, no more print editions on Mondays. Um, you see a lot more syndicated content like uh, Associated Press, Canadian Press stories um, across the wire, across newspapers. But there still are local papers in a lot of markets. You know, it's not nearly as well staffed as it was, but it still exists. I think you're going to have radio stations 10 years from now. I don't think the radio is going to totally disappear, but I do think that you're going to have, you know, a significant drop off. You're going to have more stations close. Uh, the real question is, is are you going to have, you know, any kind of talent going to these stations? You know, where is the next generation of broadcasters going? Is any one of them trying to work at a local station and then go up to a bigger national station? Even the big national stations, they're not making a lot of money. So, right. um, I still think, again, there's going to be radio broadcasts the same way I think there'll be TV broadcasts. You know, people would be telling me there's not going to be a newspaper 10 years ago. You can go back and see news stories saying the Global Mail, Toronto Star, and the Post media will all be out of business. They're still here, right? You can still buy a newspaper. People have been saying radio is going to be out of business for 20 years. It's still here. So there's going to be some some form of it, but uh, it's certainly not a growth industry. I just, I, I wonder, because here we are having this conversation, you know, on a digital network, streaming network, yeah. it's available when you want it. And I, I don't I don't want to profess to know, you know, and you're the perfect guy to ask. I see it in sport. Are we getting the same kind of adoption on this platform with local news or with, you know, not I, I know we get the partisan stuff and I know we uh-huh. get that kind of thing. But are, are we getting a replacement for NPR, CBC on these types of platforms? I think we are. Um, but again, I think, you know, if recent data in Canada, the U.S., something like 80 percent of Canadians get their news first from social media platform, right? Okay. From yeah. Instagram or from Facebook or, you know, more and more with young adults. It's, it's TikTok is the place that they get their news. So where people are looking for news information, whether it's sports or otherwise, it comes to them algorithmically and it comes to them socially. You know, very few people, their first way that they get a news story is is through kind of an analog medium, you know, newspaper, TV, radio. Uh, I I do think that there's still a market, though, for for sports talk specifically, right? People are listening to this live right now, but a lot of people are going to be listening to this uh, as a podcast. And from a technology standpoint, 
you know, even five years ago, one broadband connection wasn't that great, you know? So in order to stream audio was going to be difficult. Couldn't really do it in your car everywhere. It was very expensive for us to be talking the way we are right now. The technology has gotten really affordable. Now we're, we're doing this broadcast. It's high quality. It sounds great. It looks great. It's costing, you know, a fraction of what it would have five years ago. People have pretty much unlimited or, or very close to unlimited data connection on their cell phones now in a way that they didn't just five years ago, right? It was hard to get a gigabyte of data in Canada. Specifically, we have a specifically <laughs> bad telco business, yeah. maybe a whole other story. But uh, I, I think that the technology always makes things uh, cheaper and more accessible. That's just the trend of technology. And there's just no reason for uh, people to get their audio through an actual signal in a radio tower. It just isn't efficient at all. It isn't efficient for advertisers to target, which is, you know, how we monetize things like this. It isn't efficient for people to get it, you know, getting it on your phone in your pocket is much more convenient than getting it on an actual radio in your car or getting it in your office, in your home with a radio. So I, I still think that there's a lot of interest. There's actually like a lot of growth in podcasting and audio, uh, and really calling it podcast or calling it radio or calling it audio. At the end of the day, people call Netflix TV. Uh, it's not TV. It's not coming over a no. television feed at all. But people say Netflix produces TV shows. I would say that this is a radio show, even though it's not ever going to be on the radio. It's just going to be digital. So maybe it's a podcast. It's a digital radio show. I don't know what we want to call it. But at the end of the day, it's really not that different. It's the delivery mechanism that is. Well, it's microcasting as opposed to broadcasting, yeah. right? A radio stations always throwing a big wide net, hoping that it gets a bunch of listeners. People know what's on this program. To your point, if they listen to it later, they're going to be able to see who the guests are, what the topics are. They choose to come here. They already have a, an interest in it. I, I think it's it's kind of micro broadcasting, is what it is. I, I think there. I think that's true. But the only the only thing I'll say to that is that. Yep. You know, unlike radio, where you're really, you're really stuck with people within you know a hundred kilometer radius or less of your of your broadcast signal, there are Flames fans right now that live in all parts of the world that tune into Flames Nation content. Yep. And when you're on the road and you want to you know hear what's going on with your favorite team, you don't live in that market. You know, it's really easy to get it. And you know, even growing up, so I'm in Toronto, right? Yep. I, I'm a big fan of the Toronto sports teams. But someone who is ten or fifteen years younger than me, there's a very good chance that they're actually fans of other sports teams because. Yep. You can listen to every single broadcast for the L.A. Kings or for the mm -hmm. Lakers here. Maybe you're a LeBron fan and you were a Heat fan and now you're a Lakers fan and you just followed LeBron in the NBA wherever he went. You can get all of that easily in Toronto now at really no incremental cost to you. You know, you're going to buy NBA League Pass, you get all the games. It's as good quality as getting your local broadcast. So there isn't the need to be in a market to tune in with the local media anymore, which has its challenges, but also – it opens up opportunity for this internet meritocracy where if you are really good and you, you know, are able to capture an audience, sky's the limit. So let's make a clunky transition then, because you mentioned road and your teams being in Toronto, a lot of people, and it sounds like we're beating up, up on Rogers, but you know, here we go. Season's about to begin and they're not traveling the radio crew. I don't believe them to be the only team in pro sports. As a matter of fact, I know the Flames aren't traveling their radio crew anymore, and that's a Rogers station. Is is this a is it a necessity? Did, did the the media people get upset? The broadcasters get upset, but is this doing a disservice to fans in your eyes? 
I get a lot of feedback from. So just to give people context, right? Ben Wagner, who is the play-by-play voice of the Blue Jays on the radio on the Sportsnet 590 and the, and the Sportsnet network across the country, um, he calls the game first of all solo on the radio. Um, and he uh, this season is not going to be on the road. He started last season not on the road either. I think midway through the season, sometime around August, uh, you know, conveniently when they were doing quite well and in a playoff push, um, he did go back on the road for the back. I don't remember how many games, but kind of back third or maybe back fifth of the season. Uh, Rogers has said that he will not be traveling with the team. Uh, that appears to be a cost-cutting measure. Uh, they're not certainly the only team that's doing it, right? So there's a number of NHL teams, specifically in the Canadian market, that got used to it during COVID when there was very legitimate reasons not to be able to go over the border and fear for you know exposure to COVID, which is very real. Um, but now, in Major League Baseball, I don't believe any other team is not sending a radio team on the road. I believe that the Blue Jays are the only ones. Um, I know that the broadcast team, you know, they might go on the record and say this, but they're not super thrilled about that. I know the team is probably not thrilled about that. No. But this is one of the challenges of having a, a fully vertically integrated you know, the team, the building and the broadcast are all owned by the same company at the end of the day. So I, I think it's a cost-cutting measure, but I think it's really, you know, uh, it's really short-sighted. We're talking about, you know, best estimate from people I've talked to in the business, you know, $300,000 all in expenses to get someone on the road. We're talking airfare, hotel for, you know, 82 games. It's really not very much when you just spent $300 million renovating the station or renovating the ballpark. I mean, uh, when you spend, you know, that kind of money all the time on other elements, it's baseball, I think is different than other sports in that the games are on during the daytime. Uh, it's on during the summer when people are on the road. You're doing a family road trip. You're going to the cottage. You're going on a camping trip. It's something that people listen to in the car or listen to at work. It really is the soundtrack to summer. And how many people are going to notice that Ben Wagner is calling the game off a monitor? They're going to have the sound piped in from the ballpark. I yeah. bet you very few. If you were to yeah. pull people, uh, you know, unaided research and you were to say, can you tell that, you know, this broadcaster is, is not on on the road? probably 5%, you know, only the people who've read the news stories or maybe follow me on Twitter, but it does communicate something to people who are your hardcore fans. And it does communicate something to people around the league that, you know, this is not a team that's really going to invest in that part of the presentation. Um, And to me, it's a brand marketing exercise. Putting the guy on the road is just one more reason to say, Hey, we value your opinion as a Jays fan. We value your fandom. We want you to spend money and buy tickets and come to the game and cheer on the Jays. So we're going to make sure that like we give you a top-notch broadcast. And if every other team in the AL East is doing it, you should be doing it too. Are we one step away from you know, just taking the television feed and putting it on the radio? Um, we, we might be. I mean, listen, that, that's happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly happened with news stations. You know, BNN Bloomberg in Vancouver just takes the BNN, I believe, the BNN radio feed. At one point, it was the TV feed. CP24 tried that at one point in Toronto. There was a CP24 radio where it was just the audio of CP24 uh, TV. So we might try that. I mean, the reality is that the radio, you know, the, the actual economics of running a radio station in 2023 are really poor. Um, right. it's, it's just, it's not a really great growth medium. There's not a lot of listeners. It's hard to capture any kind of data on those listeners. So in order to efficiently sell ads is quite difficult. There's a lot of other places in town. You could sponsor, you know, just a game with Rob Kerr or about a hundred other podcasts. If you want to yep. reach hockey fans before you just have to sponsor the local team or the local broadcaster that carried the games, right? Those would be your only option. Um, so there's so many more places for advertisers to go that I think radio economics are in a bad spot. 
But I could see, you know, in a couple of years from now, us talking about the audio broadcast of the game. And it's available on Spotify or iHeart Music or uh, any kind of radio FM, all sorts of streaming apps, because a lot of people do tune in the game through streaming. I still, still think audio is on the rise. I still think people want to listen to baseball games via audio. And I do think that audio needs to be different than the TV broadcast. You need to describe things. I mean, I used this example yes, I, gave, I gave people the other day. I, uh, I listened to the Sirius XM broadcast of the uh, Genesis Open for the PGA Tour. Yep. And it was entirely different than what you get on CBS, right? It's not Jim Nance. There's a different broadcast crew. Um, but it's incredible. They're describing every single thing from pulling back the putter to what the break is. And you can visualize exactly what's going on in the golf tournament. Especially someone like myself who's, you know, I was watching the prior days of the tournament. I kind of knew the holes they were referring to. If they had just given me the CBS broadcast, I would have turned it off within, you know, a minute or two. I wouldn't have understood what was happening or what was going on. So radio and specifically audio are a different medium than TV. But I think we're going to see a bit of a, you know, correction back and maybe a resurgence in the future. Well, and I'm, I'm optimistic about that. And I, I'm happy you said that because I did want to play. I, I thought I was going to have to play devil's advocate. And I don't I don't think I do now. Because I am a believer that there's two different broadcasts. I've done television. I've done yeah. radio. I prefer radio, to be perfectly honest, because it's it's a more descriptive call. I, I think you need to be more. Yeah, you need to paint more of an uh, you know a picture. Could this platform? Because I never, I never ever at no time did I think you know a, a streaming service for radio. I, we talk about OTT for yeah. you know uh, broadcast. That's been tried, but could a streaming service? pick up the rights could a streaming service like this one go on the road and do broadcast is there any reason why there couldn't be to your point a kind of an audio resurgence of sports coverage i i don't see any reason why and i actually think that that will happen i'm almost guaranteeing that that will happen in some way or another i mean we already are streaming our sports, right? So Thursday Night Football, that is streamed by Amazon Prime. Yep. That does not go out on television. I mean, it does go in local markets. Sure. What happens is NBC actually was farmed out to Amazon to produce the content. They produce it. It's broadcast on Amazon, and then some local markets actually pick it up. But it is produced first as a stream. MLS right now uh, is on Apple. It is – I don't know if people watch the MLS kickoff over the weekend. You could see, A, the quality was fantastic uh, on Apple because it wasn't compressed at all because it came directly digitally feed to feed. There was no compression and, and, and rebroadcast, which is some technical stuff that even I don't fully understand. But I know it looks better when it's fully streamed. Um, but my point is, is that we're already streaming things on video. Uh, majority of, of people listening to radio, I'll take the, you know, the biggest sports radio show in the country is TSN's Overdrive. Yep. If you were to compare the number of people that listen to Overdrive live compared to the number of people that download the podcast or listen to clips of it on social, the number of people that listen to the clips or the podcast is exponentially bigger than the people who actually listen to it live on the quote-unquote radio. Right. So, you know, we are already streaming sports content. We're going to get to a point where, you know, a full-on play-by-play has no terrestrial radio home. Right. So you're going to have, you know, Flames Nation is the official broadcast partner of the Calgary Flames. Every single game you can be heard live on, you know, the social channel, on the website, on a podcast or through Spotify, whatever that is. But it's going to be fully streamed with no radio in between. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you uh, also are one of these people, one of these people, but someone who <laughs> someone who believes there was a story, I believe, midway through 2022, that by the time we get to 2030, the, the rights to clips and and being able to share the clips will out you know out distance the rights to actually the broadcast that the actual clips and and highlights and those types of things really in this day and age and moving forward probably have more value than having the games 
yeah, that that opens up a whole other conversation about exactly how people are tuning into sports and and, and yeah. how Gen Z specifically and, and younger millennials as well engage with sports. Um, it is very easy to follow your favorite sports team in 2023 mm-hmm. without ever actually watching a full two, three, four hour game. You know, you can listen to a podcast recapping it. You can listen to clips on social or see video clips on Instagram and TikTok. Um, the NBA's new app very much is inspired by this. It looks like Instagram reels or TikTok. It's algorithmic, short form highlights. And a lot of younger sports fans, that's how they're primarily engaging. Do they still watch the games on TV? Yep. Yes, for sure. But, you know, 162 baseball games, uh, are they going to sit through multiple three-hour broadcasts a week? Unlikely, the younger fan, because that's just not their consumption habits. Older fans, that's what they're used to. They wouldn't, they don't feel comfortable necessarily, you know, consuming a game in a combination of clips and then social and then checking the box score, looking at an app to see what the score is when you're on the road. But younger viewers are. So the question is, is that going to mean that the clips are more valuable than the big game? I don't necessarily think so. I still think... Um, the rights to broadcast and capture the original event is like that is when the event is happening. Right. And live is very important. So I still think that that is going to be critical. How those, how that broadcast gets disseminated into pieces of social is going to be interesting. Um, But that big, the big broadcast, the big, you know, actual capture of live is still really important. I still think that is like the meat and potatoes, what's going to be bid on. So you're, as we do this more and more, you'll realize that, Every once in a while, I'm going to come way out of left field at you and see see if I can trip you up. Okay. Um, I have thought for a long time that secondaries, because we all chase, we, sports all chase, the leagues all chase the broadcast money, right? That's, that's where the money is. We chase the broadcast money. I've been thinking that it might be more effective for um, minor leagues and, and other secondary leagues to chase the creators, and and not the money to to have their make the in the way that TikToks have created this whole genre of music, right? It's all this yep. TikTok creator music. Is, is there value in a league taking a risk and becoming the home of of creator clips and having their players, you know, specifically doing things that could be intertwined into content? Not not for a second. Am I suggesting I know exactly what's going on out there with TikTok and things and reels? Rob, and Rob, I think you are onto something here. I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Last night, uh, a YouTuber fought the younger brother of a boxing world champion. Yep. That was a hugely reviewed fight that was highly sold. A lot of pay-per-views were sold. You know, that is a content into sports strategy where first you start with someone who is a content creator and can capture an audience themselves. Now, boxing's always been like this, right? It's always yep. been about promotable personality it's a promotional sport right there isn't it's not the same as other sports so boxing's always had this but to be honest you know if you'd ask someone 20 30 years ago if a bunch of you know kids in their 20s or even younger are going to be really interested in a boxing fight you'd say no boxing has come and gone boxing is no longer the way of the future you know the mma is taken over you know ufc is going to be this big thing uh boxing has been able to capture this they've done tons of celebrity exhibitions with big name personalities a lot of whom start off as TikTok, YouTube, creator, influencer types first. Other sports, I think, could learn from that, especially the non-tier one sports in terms of having, you know, athletes that bring an audience with them. And I think that, to be honest, it's not going to take much education because all the younger athletes, right, like the prime, you know, player in really any sport right now is in their mid-20s. They've grown up in an era of social. You know, look at the Kelsey brothers. They did a podcast with their playoff run and into the Super Bowl together. 
I don't think they did that because anyone told them to. I think they did that because that's just how they're used to communicating with their fans and with their audience. It's a foregone conclusion that any college athlete who is a you know, legitimate first-round NFL pick is going to have a huge following on Instagram or TikTok. They're going to have multiple NIL endorsement deals tied to that social following. You're not really convincing athletes to do that kind of stuff anymore uh, in a way that you were you know, 20, 30 years ago, where there's a lot of athletes who said, what are you talking about? You pay me to show up and score the goal or score a touchdown, play the game and win the game, then I go home. The modern athlete, I think, understands that it's an entertainment business and that getting people to watch the game is as much my job as winning the game. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm okay. We've proven I'm not insane. <laughs> I like that. Um, listen, we probably have gone too long without bringing this topic up. Lots of, obviously, hockey fans and NBA fans and Major League Baseball fans uh, are aware. Regional sports networks in the United States, a couple of them are in trouble. Bali, I believe, has missed payments on, on something and have not – uh, met their requirements, and I believe AT&T Sportsnet now says they want out of sports. How big a story is this, Adam? Uh, a huge story. Uh, so just to give people a little bit of context that they're not exactly familiar. So uh, Disney uh, uh, did a, a giant deal with Fox back in 2019. Uh, the U.S. government said, as part of this deal, you have to divest all these regional Fox sports networks uh, because you also own ESPN. It's anti-competitive. So there's a bidding process. At the time, you know, Disney was hoping to get about $20 billion for these regional sports networks, or RSNs, as people call them. Uh, they ended up only getting about $10.8 billion. An open bidding process. Sinclair Broadcast Group is the one who won the bid. Sinclair owns a bunch of broadcast channels all over the U.S., wanted to get into this regional sports cable business. Get buys the channels, 19 different markets, about four or 19 different RSNs. They service about 42 different pro teams across baseball, uh, the NBA, and hockey, 12 different hockey markets, National Predators, things like that. Minnesota Wild, they're all you know, local RSNs owned by Sinclair. They're branded Bally Sports. So if you've seen the clips, you, you've known them as the Bally Sports Networks. In order to buy these, Sinclair Broadcasting had to borrow like $9 billion of the $10 billion. Uh, they did not nearly uh, generate the revenue that they were expecting to off this. And the main way that RSNs, regional sports networks, generate their revenue is through carriage fees with broadcasters. So you're down in the U.S., you subscribe to your cable bundle, you're paying a couple bucks a month for the RSN, for the regional sports network. Well, cable subscribers really peaked about 10 years ago in the U.S. at around 105 million. It's now down around 66 million. That's the cord cutting you hear everyone talk about. So you're talking about really, you know, and who's hit the worst by cord cutting? The sports networks who commanded the most kind of per subscriber dollar than anyone else. So ESPN famously makes about 850 per subscriber. So every single person that subscribes to them, which at a time, again, was over $100 million, uh, they were making $8. So they were making $800 million in subscriber revenue every single month. That's before they sold a single ad or did anything. So they were making a lot of money. So were the RSNs. The RSNs were making a ton of money. Well, you get these cord cutters. Now you don't have revenue. So essentially, Sinclair Broadcast Group and then what they call Diamond Sports Group, which is Bally's. They, they decided this is not going to work. We're going to declare bankruptcy. They intentionally missed an interest payment, I believe, a week ago or maybe two weeks ago now. Um, and what's going to happen next is anyone's guess. Uh, Major League Baseball has come out and said that we will make sure that uh, the RSNs run and cover our games so our fans are not blacked out. But there is a very good chance that some fans will maybe not be able to get their local RSN feed. We're going into the NHL playoffs. 
So I have a feeling the NHL is hoping they just get to the playoffs yeah. before yeah. this is a factor and the RSNs don't become a factor anymore. Once you get to playoffs, everything becomes national. It's either on TNT or ESPN in the U.S. and Canada, we obviously know with Rogers. So my guess is that the NHL is waiting until we get to the playoffs, hoping that things will kind of essentially stay up and running until then. It's not that long. Uh, and what happens next year is up, uh, up for debate. You may have leagues actually take over operation of the rsns you may have some teams vertically integrate uh we've already seen that in other sports and it already happens in the nhl Mm -hmm. um so the capitals ownership group they actually own the rsn in the the washington dc region uh the you know we see yes network in new york it's not wholly owned by the yankees but it's partially owned by the yankees I don't. I'm, I have to check with Nesson. Nesson is the Bruins one. I believe the the Red Sox and the Bruins group owns part of Nesson, if not all of Nesson. So there's a number of moving parts here. But what essentially was the game in town, the cash cow for sports teams, uh, RSNs, that business has essentially imploded in the last three years, and it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Well, and, and it it begs the question of what impact will it have on the teams themselves because of salary cap. And, you know, the hockey related revenue, you know, in the NHL, the NBA and the Major League Baseball have their own issues. But I, I'm just really kind of wondering, you know, this was a league, the NHL, that was looking at maybe getting to a hundred million dollar salary cap in four or five years. Is there any chance that it actually may push it the other way that we might have the cap having to go down? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, the worst, the worst league for this is major league baseball. They're exposed mm-hmm. the most where 21% of their like $10 billion broadcast revenue comes from local comes from the RSNs. Hockey is less because they have the big deal with Rogers in Canada, the $12 billion deal that everyone talks about. Yeah. Uh, and they also just signed those two big national deals with TNT and ESPN. And then beyond that, they have the local deals. In each market, there's this RSN deals that happen, right? Valley's being one of the big ones. AT&T, the other one that we just talked about. So right. there is revenue that goes into the league that's part of the HRR that's split amongst the player, the NHLPA, and, and, the, and the league. And then obviously affects the salary cap. And it's all very complicated on how that actually gets cut up. But the reality is, yes, you're not going to have um, a big check coming in from the RSNs necessarily, which means you're going to have a hole in revenue. Is that going to get made up by another broadcast partner? Maybe. Like, there's a very good chance that the RSNs will get scooped up by another broadcaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a chance that a that a uh, streaming service will say this is a great opportunity to get in the game, and I'm going to buy essentially the equivalent. I'm not going to buy the RSNs, but I'm going to buy the broadcast rights. I'm going to pick up the whatever billion dollars I'm going to owe to these leagues for the right to broadcast it. And I'm going to broadcast it. So I'm not sure it's going to have a huge effect. I think this will get sorted out. Uh, The NHL is less exposed than major league baseball, but this is on everyone's desk. Like this is a a major talking point in the front offices of, of the, you know, big three leagues. And to be honest, the NHL is the poorest of, of those big four leagues in the NFL. This doesn't affect at all, but of the big four leagues, the, the NHL is the poorest, but they also do rely a lot on gate revenue and the national rights in Canada and the ASPN TNT, TNT deal that they just did does give them a little bit of protection. So I'm not sure you're going to hear Bill Daly or, or Gary Bettman, you know, admit that they're in trouble anytime soon. No, I, I've heard Bill say that they knew it was coming and they weren't surprised by any of it, which is, yeah. you know, typical NHL talk. I'm, <laughs> what I'm kind of interested in is the adoption uh, because I believe the Seattle Sounders of the MLS were one of the first teams to, forego a a regional sports network deal and actually stream you know are we at a point now where you don't alienate a significant portion of your crowd or your audience if you move to a streaming service 
I, I think we're getting there, right? Okay. Like we, the first year where football fans had to find Thursday Night Football. Thursday yep. Night Football ratings were not great, but people found them, right? It wasn't zero. People found Thursday Night Football and got used to streaming. You know, MLS is really you know kind of irrelevant in the national U.S. sports conversation on an audience yep. basis, but yep. people are going to find MLS on Apple TV. Um, you know, people are going to start to maybe find the Pac-12 on Apple TV too. There's talks about that um, from college sports perspective. So. I think you do kind of alienate your fans uh, in the short run. I mean, in Colorado, there was a problem where with the, the because of a disagreement with DirecTV, you couldn't watch a local Colorado game for a lot of Colorado fans. People were, you know, not happy, especially a team that won the cup recently, yep. right? That's a yep. that's a real fan base. That's not, you know, I'm not going to name any fan base, but it's it's a real fan base. Um, so I think yes, you do alienate your fans, uh, especially fans that are, you know, frankly, you know, 55 plus. Uh, who maybe are just they're still holding on to the cable bundle and haven't adopted to the world of streaming. Mm-hmm. But uh, at some point, you might not have an option. The world is going that way. Okay. Uh, one last one on this, and then I'll, I'll wrap it up on something I think a little lighter. But um, <laughs> what are we predicting uh, when, when it comes to the renewal here in Canada? Uh, you know, you've kind of heard some rumblings from Rogers that th- they'll bid, but. They're not going to pay the same. If I'm Bell, I'm probably just sitting back. And again, this is back to that conversation about salary cap implications. The the next television deal, is it going to be anywhere close to this one? When when Rogers got the rights in 2013 uh, and Scott Moore and Keith Pelly, you know, locked up this big deal, uh, everyone in the country was shocked at the time. Yeah. Uh, you can go yeah. back and like look at any of the reporting from the Globe Mail or elsewhere. People were like incredibly shocked, A, at how big the number was and how long the term was. Um, I think, you know, if the NHL uh, could end that deal today. Uh, I think they would. I think they would like to have more than one broadcast partner involved. You look at, you know, the the best the best uh, league for a lot of things is the NFL when it comes to sure. you know generating yeah. revenue. They make sure that everyone has a taste, right? They make sure that NBC, CBS, ABC, now Amazon, like if they could get another broadcast partner involved, they yep. would. So they make sure that everyone gets a taste because it keeps it competitive. And I think that the NHL, uh, if they had their way, would would love to have as many broadcast partners as possible, as many streamers as possible. Let's get everyone involved. Uh, is that going to result in a higher price than what they got last time? It, it should, the way things are going with, with with TV prices. I mean, just the way the sports pricing is being, it has gone up. The, the U.S. deal doubled, right, from when it was mm-hmm. with NBC. Again, it was with NBC alone, uh, and it went from NBC to NBC and ESPN and TNT, right? So it went from one right. to two. And in the process, they were able to double the price for it. Uh, so I think you're going to see multiple bidders. I think you're going to see uh, a combination of streaming and traditional media companies involved when the NHL rights come up. Um, and I do think it's going to be at a higher average you know, price point per year. I don't think it's going to be the same term, though. I don't think okay. you're going to see a media company that wants to saddle themselves with a 10-year contract. I think you're going to be looking at something more similar to like the five to seven years that you see in other sports. Uh, my last one for you, uh, certainly during uh, COVID, we, we got to know a lot of different programs, but I, I'd be hard-pressed to look at anything media-wise that's ever had a bigger impact on a sport than F1 Drive to Survive. Um, it's just incredible the way that it brought new viewers, um, yeah. but, it, but it took some balls, right? Like it was not traditional in any way, and I can only imagine the fights and the arguments that, that took place to get it and allow them to do what they did. But of course, sports is copycat, and since then, lots of people have tried. 
Tell me a little bit about the golf program on Netflix, the PGA Tour Full Swing. I know you're a golf fan, but I'm kind of curious yeah. what you make of, of this attempt to kind of capitalize on, on what F1 Drive to Survive did. Yeah, sp- sports is definitely guilty of the copycat syndrome. Yeah. Um, so, so just going back to Drive to Survive, because it really was, uh, you know, a total uh, one of the best one of the best success stories, I think, in sports and marketing in, in a long time. Uh, Liberty Media bought Formula One knowing that this was their strategy. Their strategy was we had this amazing sport that's been going on for a long time, huge history that has almost no presence in the United States. The United States is the biggest media market, the biggest dollars in sports are there. We got to find a way to get into the U.S. They had a two-pronged approach. One was media, which was the Drive to Survive partnership, which was brilliantly mm-hmm. executed. And number two was getting a lot more events in North America, right? Mm-hmm. So the Canadian Grand Prix, but now we have you know Vegas happening, Miami, Texas, Austin, Mexico City, whatever, right? So yeah. they've done a great job, and the value of F1 is up dramatically. Liberty Media is doing very well. So, you know, golf and just about every other league is looking for a pop like that as well, right? How do we get, you know, golf for a long time has been the, uh, our viewers are so old on golf channel. It's all, you know, how do we get young people involved? Um, turns out that during the pandemic, golf was a big winner from a recreational standpoint. It was, saw a huge resurgence in people playing golf. It's one of the few things you could do you know, safely and socially distanced. Right. Um, but this media strategy that, that golf has been attempting, I mean, I'll give them I'll give them kudos for trying and for and for doing this. I thought the series was was pretty good. I give it like a seven and a half out of ten. I thought it was good, not great. I, I think to compare to Drive to Survive is like you know comparing any other sports league to the NFL. I just think it, it's tough to beat. Gotcha. But one of the one of the things that I, I think people kind of over attribute with Drive to Survive is like, well, you guys got to do a behind the scenes documentary. That's not new. We've been doing hard knocks with the NFL for 20 years. You know, HBO has been doing their 24-7 boxing, and then they deal with the NHL. Yep. Yep. You know, there's dozens of sports documentaries on every single sport, really, across all sorts of platforms. So behind-the-scenes access is not like this silver bolt where it's like, oh, if we just mic up the players more, we're going to, you know, drive more fandom. It's this combination of, like, having a strategy around content, driving uh, audience and participation in the sport. So F1 has this brilliant structure. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
soccer where there's 10 teams and 20 drivers. And while everyone is, you know, kind of against one another from a yep. team perspective, Liberty Media and F1 is this like nice, coherent tour sure. organization. They own the whole thing. They own the broadcast. You know, they sell the broadcast a bunch of different places, but they control it really well. Other sports have so much, you know, complication where it's like, basketball and hockey of the PAs involved and everyone's mm-hmm. a contract employee yep. golf is this weird member organization where every single tournament is actually a charity event and it's not really for profit weirdly enough and they have you know lots of challenges from the majors aren't actually owned by the PGA tour and there's a European tour and there's a you know the Asian tour so golf is so complicated I think it's a really good idea to tell a story about your players get people invested in the storylines and then get people to take that storyline and bring it to the season and become a golf fan. I think that's the right strategy. I do think that the PGA tour has a lot of work to do. I mean, you can walk away from full swing and if people haven't watched it, give it a watch and you could be a a casual golf fan or a full golf fan and say, I'm still kind of confused. How many events are there in in the year? And the majors are not owned by the tour, but the FedEx cup is, is that those like Stanley cup, but also the masters is what people really care about. And there's 150 guys, but it's not the same 150 guys every week. And some, these guys, you know, are got exemptions for five years. It's just such a complicated structure, which I think the live golf thing is, is exposed as a little bit of a, a challenge opportunity for golf. And I think the PJ tour is doing a decent job addressing it, but we'll see what happens, right? Like who knows the, you know, Netflix is notoriously very quiet about mm-hmm. uh, viewership numbers uh, yeah. for how, how, you know, how many people watch it. There's been rumors that the Netflix crew is back out there right now. Uh, so we'll see what happens, but I believe that there's going to be a second season of it. Um, and we'll see if it actually results in, you know, record numbers of, of people tuning into the PGA tour or buying, you know, tight tailor-made hats. Was there enough drama? And, and by that, I mean, I think that was part of the F1 success, right? They showed you warts and all. Well, this is one of the things that F1 hardcore fans will say. There's a lot of manufactured drama, even the start sure. of so this yeah, okay. is you know, season five of, uh, Season five of Drive to Survive, which just came out over the weekend, opens with a great line from Toto Wolf where they say, you know, we like to, uh, the producer saying, we like to think this is a documentary. And he says, this is not a documentary. This is closer to Top Gun than a documentary. So there's a lot of manufactured drama that goes into the F1. uh, But also, you know, it's, it's easier to tell a narrative story when you got the same 20 guys every week. It's hard necessarily. You can't follow every single guy on the tour. Yeah. They got pretty lucky with the fact that guys that they were following closely, you know, performed well. JT went on and win a major. They yeah. had uh, Fitzpatrick win. But you're right. There isn't, you know, guys don't hate each other on the PGA Tour. You know, it's not life or death. No one's crashing into each other. It really is a gentleman's game uh, in, in the best ways, but also from an excitement standpoint, that can be a challenge. Adam, this was outstanding. Uh, So much even better than I hoped it would be. Uh, I really appreciate the time and the conversation. I hope we can do this again soon. Uh, I love this stuff. I think it's important that we document it and talk about it because it is going to impact us. And uh, we live in a world now that changes, you know, by the minute, so to speak. And, And certainly sports is part of it. So thank you for spending some time with us today. Anytime, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thank you. There you go. Adam Seaborn. You can follow him on Twitter at AHB Seaborn. Uh, he is, of course, a sports media analyst and the head of partnerships uh, for Playmaker Capital. As we said off the top, Playmaker Capital does own uh, the Nation Network, which we are proud to be part of. We are in the Oodle Noodle studio. You see it right there. That's right. We bring the heat. Try their butter chicken mac and cheese, Kung Pao noodles, Bangkok Pad Thai classic, vegetarian and gluten 
friendly options. Pickup and delivery at their two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest or 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. In just a couple of seconds, we'll hook up with our pal uh, Ryan Pike. But before we do that, I do have some assigned reading for you today. Uh, if you can, make some time for this. Um, Rick Westhead, who I think is has done some of the best journalism in our country over the past couple of years, uh, has a story at tsn.ca. It's got a really sexy headline, but look beyond the headline and read it. Uh, Alou says GTHL rejected organization that would have assured spots for BIPOC players. Um, we are dealing with a DEI topic, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Of course, former Flame Akima Lou um, has been right kind of at the center of these conversations and, and shining a light. And this article by uh, Rick Westhead, and supposedly there's more coming, really exposes a lot uh, on the GTHL, the Greater Toronto Hockey League, um, and the, the, the kind of the revenue generation and the money that's involved. And I, and I you know, for some that's probably not a big surprise for others. They might be shocked to read it. The, the challenge that I have in, in this is the same challenge I have with some other former players. Uh, if we truly want to make an inclusive sport, uh, we've got to stop trying to make it about the, the elite teams all the time. And, and in this case, you know, Akimalu is very upset that he couldn't start a triple A team um, and says that, that's a path that, you know, uh, players of color and players who are not fully represented in the game, they need to see, see players at the top. I, I reject that. Um, I, I think if we're truly going to make change and if we're truly going to make sports inclusive and, and diverse, we need to worry about the bottom of the pyramid. Everybody, the, the top is where the money is. The top is the sexy part. And and all due respect to Akeem Alou or Anthony Stewart or anybody that's, you know, kind of, uh, really going hard on this topic, but saying it needs to be the elite teams, the travel teams, the Ontario Hockey League teams, you're missing the point. Um, if you truly want to make sport inclusive, and I don't care what sport it is, you have to build the bottom of the pyramid. You have to make hockey, in this case, affordable and quite honestly, attractive to the people that that aren't there. Um, to just suggest that we, here's my example. One of the best thing that's best things that's going on in broadcasting right now is Sandra Persina is the voice of the Calgary uh, Wranglers in the American Hockey League. Why? Because here's a female play-by-play person that's putting in the seat time, that's getting the reps, that is not getting elevated to the top, so that a company can say, "See, look, we we support uh, you know diversity. Diversity is making sure that from the ground up we have different uh, different." cultures and, and genders and everybody taken care of. We need to give them seat time. We need to give them the opportunities to grow as coaches, as administrators, as officials, as hockey players, as broadcasters, but they need to get those opportunities down the line. We can't just take somebody and say, hey, look, we're, we're, we're representative because we put her there, we put him there. That's the example that I would give you, that, that we need to give the, the people that are missing in our sports legitimate opportunities, but grow them through the system. Don't just grab them and elevate them to the top. So I really encourage you to read this. Uh, Rick West that again. Um, how do I know he's doing great work? Because a lot of people dislike him and, and he makes people uncomfortable. And I like that. And this article, Alou says GTHL rejected organization that would have assured spots for BIPOC players. Well worth your time. It's a long read but well worth your time because I think it really does shine a light on a couple of things. And, and, and in, in my opinion, both parties really have some accounting to do. You want to make a difference? 
let, let's start with entry and let's build it out from there. Okay. I'm going to get off my soapbox. I never really get off my soapbox. This segment brought to you by you. That's right. Your business organization or event could be presenting this here segment. We'll work with you to make sure we get your message out to the ever-growing audience, the nation here, the nation network, as you heard from Adam Seaborn, continues to grow. Uh, For more information, check out my webpage, robker.ca slash sponsorship. If you'd like to work with us on this program, we go to our second guest of the day, uh, our regular. He is the uh, editor of uh, FlamesNation.ca. He is our NHL insider. He is the single busiest man in all of Calgary right now as he tries to keep up. I believe today was mailbag day at FlamesNation.ca. Ryan Pike, kind enough to join us. Well, what do you have to say for yourself? I, I hope I got everyone's name right. That's the, that's the key, right? As it's long a, as you the, get the, the name the, right. As the long as you this business, The yes. core of this business is get the score right and try to get the names right. And if you hit both those checkboxes, then you're doing okay. Uh, I'm going to make today a choose-your-own-adventure interview for you. Would you like to start at the league level or with the local heroes? Let's start, let's start with the locals. Okay. Because it's, this is an interesting time to, yeah. uh, to cover this hockey club. Uh, yeah. You have a team that went on a very important three-game road trip. They played a really good game in Arizona. They played well enough to probably deserve a better fate in Vegas. But, you know, the old saying, you know, the a bad goal, and then they just couldn't get uh, get out from their own way in the, the third period where they just looked absolutely gassed. Uh, and then they went into a tough building in Ball Arena to play the defending Stanley Cup champions and were – uh, in many respects, very ordinary in the first 10 minutes of that game, which is something you cannot be against the Colorado Avalanche if you want to get a good result. See, I two thought they goals. were really extraordinary for the first 90 seconds. They had it. They had a cup. They had like two good shifts. Yeah. And then, you know, they they lost track of. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> I, I'll yeah. say this. I'll say so. I I'll, I'll get on my soapbox, Rob. Yeah. Uh, I am. I think goal, goalie is the toughest position in any sport to play. Uh, I, I think it was either Jacques Plant or uh, someone else who said it's the only, it's the only job in the world. It might be, I should be, I might be Ken Dryden. I might be mis- misappropriating this term, but it's the only job in the world that when every time you make a mistake, a red light goes on and 20,000 people boo. But yeah. it's, it's, I think the, the, the intricacies of the goaltending position have really been, you know, been highlighted this season in this city, but you know, let's put it this way. First goal, uh, Gilbert, Dubé, and one other, I think it was uh, Nikita Zadorov. A lot of Flames players yeah. did not connect with each other on an attempted breakout, and it ended up on Nathan McKinnon's stick, and that's a bad thing to do in that situation. one nothing. They tr- push back a little bit. Then uh, the Avalanche have a, th- a quasi three-on-two zone entry. They sort of cross up their passes on the way into the zone. Flames look completely discombobulated in terms of who's supposed to cover who, and then all of a sudden it's 2 nothing, and 2 nothing against Colorado is a bad place to be, especially mm-hmm. if you're a team that doesn't have a lot of go-to goal scorers. And, you know, uh, Nikita Zadorov took responsibility for the loss when he spoke to the media after the game. Uh, he wasn't good, but I also say for the goaltender, Jake Markstrom, he was in – I don't think Markstrom was heroic. I don't think he was – terribly leaky. I think they needed him to be heroic at times based on how well they played in front of him. Uh, and I think the the biggest knock you can have on the Flames goaltenders this year is 
you know, down at the American League level, Dustin Wolf has been playing in front of a patchwork blue line, and he's been asked to be a very good AHL goaltender quite often. And more often than not, Dustin Wolf is the best player wearing a Wranglers jersey. That has not been the case for the Flames. Uh, oftentimes when they win, you make this, you, you can use the term they've won despite their goaltending or their goaltending was merely yep. good enough. Yep. But they haven't really had any games where you look back on it 60 games in and go, man, Dan Vladar really stole that game or man, Markstrom saved their bacon. And they've needed, based on how yep. patchwork they've looked in front of their guys at times, they've needed that. And they haven't gotten that. So it isn't, this isn't me. You know, I saw some folks on Twitter after the Colorado game. I made my usual comments on Twitter of, well, they didn't do their goaltenders any favor. And I was accused of sort of being a goaltender apologist. I think it's a tough position, but I also just think you win as a team and you lose it and you lose as a team. And far too often this year, the defensive group has made life difficult in their goaltenders at times. But I also think their goaltenders haven't been able to bail them out nearly as much as they really have been asked to do. So, first of all, I agree with you. I think, you know, and I said this at the end of last week, um, I'm beginning to think Kiprasov should be in the Hall of Fame um, because for seven years you turned it off. You just didn't care. You just didn't think about it, right? Like you took it yeah. for granted. You took him for granted. Um, there are, what, 22 one-goal losses so far this season? That sounds right. Um, no shutouts for a team that had 12 last year, nine with one goalie and three with the other. Do, am I close? Something I think like you're that. About, that's yeah. About right. Yeah. And the, the damning one to me is seven goals on first shots for Markstrom. Uh, seven goals on first shots. And I think 10 or 11 times uh, Jacob Markstrom's allowed a goal in either the first five minutes or the first five shots. Yep. He's thinking. And he, God bless Bull Durham. Thinking just hurts the ball club. Uh, because I, you have to go out, you have to be an artist, you have to play that position without thinking. And it's same thing goes for their, that team. I liked the first 90 seconds, Ryan, as I said. I liked it. They were all over them, they were in there, but they didn't get anything, and then bang, it's in their net. Oh, okay, well, it's the end of a road trip. We'll come back, and then bang, it's 2 nothing. Sorry, the air's out of the balloon. Right. And then and they early, played like that, right? Then, you know, a, a penalty in the, you know, Elias Lindholm penalty in the first five minutes of the second period. Right. Power play goal goes in and boom. Like you're not coming back from a three nothing deficit against most teams, especially not Colorado at home. No, no, you're not. Um, but in the, in the interest of trying not to just crap all over them, I thought that Jacob Pelche became a almost, I could see potential to be a star. After this road trip, I thought he elevated his game. I thought he was the best player on the ice in Vegas. Yep. And I thought he was one of the best players in the ice against the, the Coyotes too. He was, yeah. he's just, you know, uh, Brad for living did an interview uh, with Eric Francis. That's up on the Sportsnet website, uh, just sort of digging into sort of ha- you know, basically a state of the team uh, before the deadline. And the thing that Brad pointed out that I've mentioned on Twitter. So I'm kind of, I feel validated that the GM seeing the same things I am just, the, the little things about his about Pelche's game really stand out to me because you know, he's he's one of those guys that fans you know I I implore you if you get a chance if someone in your office has extra tickets go to a Flames game with Pelche playing and just watch him 
when he doesn't have the puck because he's kind of, for lack of a better term, backlandy in his details mm-hmm. in that he's sort of he finds the right places to be. He doesn't do a lot of big things on the ice. I, I compared him uh, on a different program to uh, to Yuri Hoodler or Michael Frolik in that respect, mm-hmm. especially Frolik. I think they see a lot of Frolik in him, but he's just he can play a lot of situations. He's not a detriment in any of the three zones. And he does a lot of little things well that sort of add up and give his line mates different opportunities and, and better opportunities. Uh, he's one of those guys that he's generously listed on the initial website as 170 pounds. He does not play like 170 pounds. Uh, the, I, I, I had a long chat with Todd Button for a project I'm working on, and we were talking about sort of the, the idea of small players. And he's like, there's guys who are small and guys who plays ball. Yep. And there's guys who are small, like Matthew Phillips. He has he has the he has a lot of speed. He has a lot of versatility, but he still plays like a small guy. He's great at it. He's one. I would say he's one of the few guys who who are quote unquote small players who play small. We could still be successful, but you know, Goodrow is probably another one of those in terms of you had to use you know edge work and elusiveness to avoid getting squished. But if you look at some of the smaller guys in the Flames, Dylan Dubé isn't big but he plays really well in yep. that role. Manjupani plays like someone stole, like Manjupani always plays like he's pissed off at you. Yep. And I think that's what makes him effective. Theo Fleury was like that too, where Theo Fleury was generously listed. I think it, uh, his draft year was five, six, uh, and I think 170 pounds, maybe with his skates and his gear on. But he, you know, he was basically, you know, I would, to make a cross-sport comparison, I would compare Theo Fleury's playing style to Ty Cobb, where Ty Cobb basically, you know, he, uh, mm-hmm. b- baseball reporters referred to his approach to the game as something like a war, where he would come at you like you had, you know, done something yep. to his family, and he would attack you in every aspect of the game. And that's what Maggiapani does. And Pelche has a lot of that in his game, too, where he has sort of that elusiveness, that ferocity, and he'll go into a corner with multiple guys and figure out a way to tie them up and to piss them off and to get them a little bit off their game to get a loose puck out or to tie up a puck to buy, buy some time for his guys for line change. Like, he does so many of those little things in a game that make the difference between – uh, you know, the Flames could be coming onto the ice in the middle of a neutral zone rush of the other team, or the Flames could be coming onto the ice and Pelche spent 20 seconds just tying guys up and battling. And that 20 seconds, if you have two or three guys in your lineup who can do that, they're huge. And they give you a little bit of extra zone time that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I agree with you on Pelche. I really like Walker Doerr the last little while yeah, too. I thought yeah. he's fit in pretty nicely. I think yeah. I think if you're a Flames fan and you're, and you're you're grasping at straws, looking for some silver lining in what's become a year that hasn't really had a ton of them, uh, Pelche is definitely one of them. I'd say Des Gilbert's one of them. He's signed for next year. Uh, Walker Doerr is one of them. Like they, they have, you know, a few really positive things to build off of. Uh, I'm really curious how the next seven days to maybe even ninety days unfold because this is going to be one of the more fascinating markets to be in, in the league. Yeah. You know what? I'm glad you went there. Cause that's, that's where I'm going to lead you. Um, a week ago when we spoke, they were, you know, on, on the outside looking in ninth and they had Nashville behind them with three games in hand, six points back. They're now in ninth with Nashville behind them, three games in hand, two points back. Uh, they're four points back as Seattle, but Seattle's got a game in hand, five days to go. Boston, best team in the National Hockey League. Toronto, no slouches. Uh, what are you doing if you are, you know, you wrote an editorial on on Brad and, and what their, you know, their philosophy should be. But if, as you see it today, is it locked in? Is there still time to change the general manager's mind? 
Um, what do we see in the next five days that, that will tip us into the direction this club goes? I think you kind of want to see how those two games go, but I, you know, I, I don't think you're going to suddenly decide to go all in if they have a good week against Boston and Toronto. Uh, I think they, you know, it's Brad mentioned to, to Eric, he did a piece with Wes Gilbertson uh, earlier on the road trip as well. And the consensus was basically it's a good team. It's underperformed. And I, I don't disagree with the idea that, you know, if you told me like on paper, and I feel like we sort of have this conversation every other year on paper, the Calgary Flames should be better than they are. And for whatever reason, you know, hockey's a chemistry experiment. You know, you yep. can't do it with one guy. You have to have six guys, including the goaltender, operating in tandem. And I don't feel like they've gotten their whole game going this year in terms of consistent five-man units. They've had right. really good forward lines. I think, you know, Coleman, Mangiapane, and Backlund have been, you know, blah, all year since they've been put back together. Uh, they've had lines going really well. But they're nice not runs. a top line. Right? And I think, that's, I think that's the problem because yeah. right now they don't have it. They basically have – you know, their top nine is essentially three second or third lines. Their fourth line is a decent fourth line, but it's still a fourth line. And they don't really have the the go-to guys they had before. And you could also make an argument they haven't really ever had all three of their second and third lines going at once. And mm-hmm. they, you know, it seems like if they have their penalty kill going, their power play starts playing a little bit badly. Like this last little bit, their power play's gotten going, but since the alter break, their penalty kill hasn't really gotten yeah. as many stops as they needed it to. Uh, the, you know, uh, their defense gets going, a forward goes down. A forward, everyone's healthy up front as it is right now. Oh, the defense is missing a few guys now. So it seems to be, you know, the, like the, the the analogy of the little boy with his fingers in, in the, the dam. You know, whenever whenever they plug a hole, another one springs out there. And it's been sort of like this all year. So, you know, sometimes things just don't go your way. And I think the I think they're aware of that. I think they're, they can do the math. They're not going to, you know, I think right now they almost have to play at a, you know, I think right now to make, to hit 95 points and have a realistic shot at the playoffs, they had to play 650 hockey after playing 550 hockey for 60 games. Mm-hmm. It's a tall order. Yep. Uh, and if, you know, at the end of the week, if they go over against Boston and Toronto, all of a sudden they have to play 725 hockey. So I don't think two wins will make them say, let's go for it. I don't think two losses will make them say, tear it down. I think they're going to, you know, they've been, you know, Elliot Friedman on, on 32 thoughts, the podcast uh, this morning mentioned just the idea that there's, you know, he thinks they're taking a step back and going, okay, what are we doing here? And I think that's probably a smart thing to be doing. If you're figuring it out, like, if they get in, can this group do some damage? Yeah, probably. Would they like to have a bit more depth? Probably. And I think if they, I think they're probably look going into Friday with the philosophy of if they can find a way to, you know, get an extra, a bit of extra insurance in any position. I'd say goaltender they feel reasonably okay with given the personnel they have performance, notwithstanding, but the personnel they're happy with. But if you can get, you know, for a fifth or a sixth round pick, uh, some depth up front, maybe an extra center. If you can get some, you know, an extra blue liner that can maybe help you out so that, you know, maybe if Dennis Gilbert has a rough night, you don't need to throw him to the wolves. You can give him a night off or you can, you know, insulate a bit from Connor Mackey. I think they're looking for those kind of things. And I don't think they'd shy away from, from hockey trades if they feel like there's value because they have, you know, they're a year away from having a lot of decisions to make on players. And maybe that's something that really they look into closer to the off season because, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams, you know, asking fundamental questions about how the hell they're going to manage the salary cap next year. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you just spoke as Seaborn, yeah. uh, Adams, Adams, you know, a hitter for lack of a better term. He knows everyone, he knows everything. And, 
one of the things that's been sort of the unspoken challenge of the NHL this year is, you know, they headed into the year, uh, you know, I think September, October, we heard, yeah, salary cap might be going up a ton next year. Everything looks great. And that turned into, well, maybe not, maybe, maybe, maybe it still go up, but we're thinking maybe it might be closer to, it might be the million dollars. And now with, you know, uh, with the diamond sports catastrophe and Warner brothers discovery bailing out, uh, you're you're looking more likely than not at a one million dollar cap increase for next season. So right now, if you go to cap friendly, the Flames have about one point three million dollars in cap space, uh, and you know bump it up for next year. They got two point three million two point three million dollars in cap space, but they got some decisions to make. And you know if if I think the question they they're probably asking themselves right now is all right if they run it back with the same 20 some guys, if they don't do anything substantial in the off season, if they just run it back with these guys, mm-hmm. is it reasonable to expect a different outcome? And if the answer is, Ooh, maybe not then. Okay. Then what changes do you want to make? But, but it seems, and it, it goes all the way back to the beginning of this answer. You said, you know, every other year, you're right. You're right. Like that's the flames. As long as I've been here for 20 years, you know, Win one, lose one. Win one, not in the playoffs, not in the playoffs, in the playoffs, out of the playoffs, in the playoffs, out of the playoffs, leading the division, wild card spot. You know, I, I to me, we we've kind of gone through. I mean, even before Kachuk and Goudreau jumped ship last summer, there was talk about you know, do they need to move Monahan and Goudreau? Is the is this the right core and all of those sort of things? I've used this analogy a couple times. I've only been back for one week. They remind <laughs> me. Of, a, of me as a golfer in the tee box. My feet are everywhere. They're moving. They're shuffling. They're, they're coming in. They're going out. I'm bending the knees. I'm straightening the knees. I'm, and all of a sudden, I whack the ball, and guess what? It goes in the woods. Like, there needs to be some consistency here. Yeah. And, and to your point, I don't think that this is a blow them up, try to go for Connor. But that's, that's insane. They've locked yeah. up uh, Huberdo, and they've locked up Kadri, and they've locked up Markstrom, and they – it's it's thinking well, around the edges, right? Here's an example. So they, yeah. you know, they they had. I'll say this in retrospect, it was kind of fortunate that they had the Seattle expansion draft in 2020 when they did, because mm-hmm. you know the the the, yep. the 2021, yeah, the 2021 season was just a bad year for the Flames. It was yep. the even number year Flames. It was just it didn't work out. Right. A lot of things, you know. Markstrom wasn't Markstrom, you know, Tanev worked out, but Tanev's just really good. But a lot of things they tried just didn't pan out. And I think the the fact that they had to sit down and be like, okay, are we comfortable with losing Mark Giordano to expansion given what it'll allow us to keep and given what it'll allow us to do? Yep. And so they, you know, they lost Mark Giordano and I'm sure, you know, they, it was it was a gut punch, but I think they all kind of expected it. And I think they've sort of made their peace with it and it allowed them to really give more ice time to a lot of guys like Rasmus Anderson became yes. a power play quarterback. Right. Uh, Noah Hannafin became the go-to left shot defenseman on the team. They were able to give a lot more penalty kill reps to a lot of other guys. Like they, they were able to round out the lineup for a lot of their players. And I don't think you have Oliver Shillington taking the step he did last year, if not for the ice time that Mark Giordano leaving opened up. Opened up. Yep. Yep. And so I think this this coming, you know, in this the past offseason, I think they made the those same kind of moves like okay, based on who's available, how do you want to replace Matthew Kachuk Snarl? Well, Nazem Kadri makes sense. Okay, you know, the the extension is notwithstanding, we can we can naval case all we want about the the logic of giving guys eight-year contracts when they haven't played a game for you yet, but 
The getting Mackenzie Weger, Mackenzie Weger's defensive metrics are fantastic. Offensively, he's nothing to write home about. But as a shutdown guy, he's he's excellent. He's one of the better defensive defensemen in the league. Uh, Jonathan Huberto hasn't worked out yet. Yeah. So I think the question they have to ask themselves is a what didn't work this year, and b what are the opportunities that present themselves to change up the things that they want to change up because i think when when you have a kachuk leave you have the opportunity you have the cap space you're not spending on him you can spend on other things when you have a Gaudreau leave you're not getting ten and a half million dollars to Gaudreau. okay great you'd love to have him but if you have the opportunity i, th- I think it's sort of a, a money ball situation for lack of a better term where you know if these things are happening and you don't really have much say over them or maybe things are happening and you you want to direct them a bit What's the what's the direction? Where do you want to steer yeah. the thing? How yeah. do you want to steer it? And how are you going to use the changes you make to improve your situation? Because I'll say this, you know, in the mailbag this morning, folks are asking. One of the last questions I answered was uh, a fan asking, like, okay, like, what should be optimistic about? I'm like, okay, here's the here's the silver lining, folks. Everyone, everyone, it's everyone crowd around because it's a bit of an open secret. The Flames really like Matt Coronado, and they would really love to sign Matt Coronado. If the Flames are going to be battling for a playoff spot, uh, a risk-averse coach who doesn't know the player might not be as prone to using him down the stretch. And as such, uh, a, a collegiate player who has you know a lot of things going on in his life, he's going to Harvard. So, I mean, he probably wants to, to do some classes at some point. But if you're the Flames and you're, you, you've resigned yourself to, okay, this might not be our year you can potentially you have some ice time you can dangle to get a coronado sign you have mm-hmm. maybe you have the ability to give dustin wolf some starts he wouldn't get otherwise i think they have mm-hmm. a lot of things they could do so if they're going to do that if they're going to go down door number 2 and yeah. use this as sort of a, a building opportunity what and why but but and the I think thing you have but the thing you haven't channeled in there my friend is door number 3 or option c or we haven't talked about is the coach because yeah. the coach, the coach plays as big a role in all of this. He was not brought in to coddle this team and get them, you know, just to you, the playoffs. You, he was I'm, brought I'm, in to win. I'm sure. I'm sure the, the, you know, when when they decided to move on from Jeff Ward, I'm sure the the sales pitch on the farm, you know, didn't involve some kind of all right, Daryl, come here and we'll sort of, you know, we'll paddle around in the middle of the pool for a little bit, or we'll rebuild, or we'll do anything like that. And I I still think that's a major operational issue that you're going to, is he going to be okay with what you just brought up? I, is, and, is he and I, think okay? the, I think the challenge is anything you do in the last 20 some games has to be all about, at least from, from the perspective of probably ownership and the coach, it has to be about getting you back there next year and allowing you to do something. I agree. Because if, if the idea is, Oh, you're going to, you know, I, I think, in this market, there's never been much of an appetite for blowing it up, partially for business reasons, partially just for hockey reasons. I don't well, think ownership really... doesn't want it. Yeah. Ownership doesn't want it. There's too much money to be made. This is a business. Let's. This is not yeah. me taking a run at anybody. Ultimately, you know, we look at this like a religion or a, you know a science experiment or whatever you want to say. It's a business. Cash in, cash out. They need to go to the playoffs. That's why I'm still not convinced that they won't be viewed as buyers, as it were. Okay. I'm not suggesting that what's left to go out and hunt. I mean, I guess Kane, but he's going to the Rangers. I mean, all the, all the, and we're going to get to that in a second, but you know, I, I think at the end of the day, you could have some people on Friday going, well, wait a minute. They've added. I still think they could add. I really do. 
because I, I think they are not desperate, but it's, it's playoffs or bust and we're going to do everything and bust our hump to get there. That may not be the best thing to do, but I, I wouldn't be surprised, Ryan. No, I wouldn't be. I, but I, th- I think, I don't think they're going to make the, the, you know, Dan, the torpedoes, first round pick for Tyler Toffoli kind of trade because I don't no, think they have no, that kind no, of group. No, 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 but no. if you're telling me like, okay, well they moved the third round pick next year for somebody like, I, I thought someone like, like uh, Sam Lafferty from Chicago just went to Toronto. Yeah. I, that's that. a, I think that's the type of thing they might be looking at if they do any kind of substantial ads. It'd be, you know, who do you, wh- what don't you have on this team this year that you're going to want next year too? Yeah. That's I think right. those types of things. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, we are in the Oodle Noodle studio. Uh, Ryan, kind enough to join us here five days away from the trade deadline, but you'd never know that based on yesterday. Uh, why <laughs> Why aren't teams in the West participating this year? Is there is it is there something I'm missing in all of this? Well, I mean, if we're going to call a spade a spade, the West just isn't very good this year. Yeah, uh, You have Seattle, who was a division leader a few weeks ago, Coming back down to earth a bit, and the Flames might catch them. Yep. I don't think that's out of their own possibility. I don't think it's amazingly likely, but it wouldn't shock me. Right. Uh, you know, there's, there's, you know, the Colorado Avalanche have gone on a run lately, but A, they don't have a lot of cap space, and B, they're hoping to get some guys who are injured back over the end of the season, which will eat up their cap space. And Colorado is sort of a so so team up until they went on a run since the last month or so. So I think a lot of the teams in the West are sort of you don't really know where they're going to finish or who they're going to play. Whereas if you're Toronto, you know, you're facing Tampa in the first round and vice versa. If you're the Bruins, you know, you're going to probably just ragdoll some poor wildcard team in the first round and face the survivors of the other series. I get that. But, but why wouldn't you, but see, haven't we in the past? Oh, it's all West teams making the moves and you would come on. I'm just making this up. You would come on, you go, well, of course they're making the moves because it's wide open. Right. If if nobody's dominant in the West, then it's wide open. So make the moves. The East seems tighter. Boston's a juggernaut and everybody's making the moves. Like yeah, I, it's, I, 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 I don't I'd know. Also, I I'd, also argue, I'd also argue that uh, a lot of teams in the West have already like I think a lot of these teams have made their big swings or like if you're Colorado, you've already you what know, can you do you did your things last year you yeah. you emptied yep. the tank last year like yep. they it's a group that didn't have the assets to do a lot of other things uh you know dallas has already made some moves you know i think a lot of these teams have made some moves so now it seems like the the teams that we're watching are your nashville's or your minnesota is sort of like the like I'd, i'll say this i'll say this and you mm-hmm. know it's it's very apt because he just announced his, his impending retirement but david poyle in nashville has done a pretty savvy job tinkering or keeping his team in the mix because you know they they got five five assets and a player for tanner janat yeah we'll, we'll talk just, about that in a second but you know the, you know need a rider who was a yeah. guy who never really seemed to completely click in their group you know he was moved on minnesota's gotten you know they've used a little bit of money to add picks yeah. uh you know so I, i'd say those guys those teams have done a nice little job but i think in a lot in a large extent teams in the west a, there's, I think there's some uh, some hesitation because you know it's wide open, but it's also like I'll say this: there's a few te- like which teams are are feel completely comfortable there in the playoffs at this point? Maybe one or two, and they might just be waiting for each other to make the moves. I, I guess I just I think that uh, assuming we know what three months from now is going to look like for any team, Boston, I don't care. Toronto, I don't care. You don't know. I mean, Toronto's one goalie injury away from being a, 
you know, a dumpster fire. Pasternak goes out in Boston. And I'm not saying these are going to happen, but you know, and I know that it's a war of attrition. And like I say, if I see a path on my side that might be easier, just get me to the final and I'll take my chances because I don't know what the other side will look like. I, I, I will go this far and we'll get into all of it in a second here, but I think there's a significant kind of business change in, in, in hockey operations this year in the NHL. And I'm not so sure that they didn't take all that criticism after the NBA uh, trade deadline. So personally, because everybody's look at all the picks. Why don't we do that in the NHL? Do you not think a first, a second, and his third, fourth, and fifth from this year, that Julian Breezebois said, you, your picks mean nothing to me. Take them. I don't care anymore. Like, it is so – when you saw the return last night, I kept going, is this actually Elliot Friedman or is this Boob McKenzie again? <laughs> right? It had to be somebody. And Breezebois pretty much said, look, I, I we, like, know what it, we know what we can get. We, I we like Tanner Janot as a player. I mean, he had 20-some goals last year. He's a 24. good player. He's a good he's player. A, he's a good he's, player. Yes. But five, five picks I and Cal Foot is a lot. Cal Foot. But here's the thing. in them, I, I'd say in that market, above all others, three trips to the final in three years. 100%. If you're, 100%. If you're, if you're Julian Breezebois, you're yep. thinking, okay, yep. this the, – the, First round pick, uh, we have a bunch of, we have a good scouting crew. We're fine. Okay. What about our, our second round, you know, all these other ones? Well, I mean, how long, like first round picks, here's an example. So first round picks in, in, you know, if you're Tampa yeah. Bay, if you're Tampa Bay, you're probably drafting late first. So if you're drafting That's right. late first, That's right. if you're drafting late first, it's two years to the guy goes pro. Like let's use Jacob Pelche's example. Sure. sure. So, cause Jacob Pelche was a very successful American league player. Jacob Pelche drafted in 20, in 19, didn't go pro until 21, 22 mm -hmm. places first NHL games in 22, 23. So if you're the Tampa Bay lightning and this is your, your best guys are going to be your late first in this draft. If you're them, you're going, okay. So if I, if we keep our first and our second, third, fourth, and fifth, the best case scenario is they might have some kind of impact in our hockey club, even in Syracuse by 2025. Right. Screw it. Let's yep. just, and I Let's think it's exactly you, what we need right now for this team. And if That's you're if you you're if you're that management group, if you're that group of pro scouts, if you've yep. been there and been there recently, yep. you know, and, and you know, when people hear Daryl Sutter talk about, you know, getting there and the process and all that stuff, this is kind of what he's alluding to. The idea that especially Let's use LA's example in, in the early 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 teens of this of uh, the century. If you're there every year, every other year, you keep getting close. You, you get a handle on what you don't think you have, and then you kind of figure out your stomach for throwing picks at problems. Like, you know, th this is the same group who, uh, you know, in Tampa, they keep they went out and they got uh, Blake Coleman. They went out and they got they've gotten a lot of guys just by throwing picks Absolutely at it. And they have. you know, if you ask Blake Coleman, hey, do you think it was worth it? Ask him how his rings feel because, you know, if you're willing to put up with a lot of pain if you, there's a parade at some point and I'm sure when eventually this house of cards that Tampa Bay is building will collapse in itself because, you know, parties don't last forever, no. but while you're there, you might as well try to have another go at it. Right. Ask Alex Anthopoulos two years ago at the trade deadline in major league baseball, he reworked his entire outfield. He just almost blew up the Braves and everybody was wondering what the hell. And then he wins a championship. That's all that matters. It's all that matters. You can talk about, oh, the athletic loves our farm system. It's number one in their rankings till the cows come home. 
fans want championships. They want banners. Players want rings. And I think Breeze Bois, I'm not, you know, it's not how it works, but it almost feels like a poker game. And I bet you he was, he was staring darts right through Kenny Holland. When now I think Edmonton's, I think Edmonton, I think in a way it's been cast Edmonton, like, okay, go get Carlson, go get Carlson, go get him. Do what you need to do to get him. A a lot of, I think the the big pieces that I think they're left in play are Jacob Chikrin and Eric Carlson. And San Jose, I don't think is any in any hurry to trade Carlson. No, I, you know, my, my career, career said he doesn't expect to see him move, right? Yeah, and which is which is in a way like if you're playing poker and you're looking at Mike Greer going, "What do you want to do?" He's like, "I don't know." You tell you yeah. if you make make me an offer. That's yeah. that's Mike Greer, who's quietly been very good in, in San Jose, just saying, "Make me an offer." Yeah. But I think right now, like when your team is bad, you can sell hope. Uh, when your team is bad, they talk about, you know, I love Scott Wheeler. I love Corey Proman. I love all, all the folks. You know, I, I watch a lot of junior hockey. When your team is bad, people really want to hear about the prospects. Absolutely. When the team is good, they want to hear about how quickly they can win. And if you're in Tampa, you know, I if if you're working in that market, you feel like you owe it to your fan base, a fan base that was not very good for a while. You feel like you owe it to them to cash in when you can cash in. And, you know, t- I'm sure, I'm sure that's the feeling in Toronto right now too. You think Toronto is really, you know, shedding any tears about their cap situation or the draft picks they won't have. I think they're looking at their lineup. You know, they, I think Garrett Hole, I think it was Garrett on Twitter pointed out the depth of their defense. They have seven guys who are probably reliable second pairing guys. I don't think they have a first pairing, but if you have seven or eight or nine guys, you feel like can come and just take a shift and not hurt you. And in fact, help you quite a bit that way, you know, if any one of them get hurt, you got some backup. And as you mentioned, it's a war of attrition. So if you're Toronto, if you're Boston, if you're Tampa, if you're any of these teams that legitimately think that they have a shot at this, you you know, you almost owe it to your fans. At the very least you owe it to your, to your group to yep. do what you can to show it up. Uh, Brad Tree Living said in the past, like you take your, you take your cues from your team Absolutely. and you do what you feel like your team deserves or do your team has earned. And last year, the local team felt like they had owed it to their group to add some key players. It didn't work out. But if you're, if you're telling me a year later, oh, I wouldn't have done it. I don't know. I think, I still think Toffoli was a really good move. I think Yarn Croak for the, for what they needed, Aaron Coke is a really good move. Ryan Carpenter is a fifth rounder. And, you know, I'm sure they'd love to have that pick back, but they wanted some depth in that position and it didn't help them, but it didn't hurt them either. And I'm sure, I'm sure now they look at those things and said, they gave them a chance. And I'm sure Toronto and Boston and Tampa Bay are looking at their, what they've done the last 72 hours and go, we're giving them a chance. And that, you know, you mentioned Edmonton. Yeah. What it, what are the, I'm really curious what Edmonton does. We, we saw Winnipeg make a move to, yep. to shore up their team a bit. I'm so fascinated at what Edmonton's going to do because in terms of the Western Conference, does anyone have a true nuclear deterrent for offensive hockey the way they have a Dreisaitl and a McKinnon – or a McDavid, rather? Uh, maybe Colorado with McKinnon. I was going to say Colorado would right now. When everyone's healthy in Colorado, you yeah. have that, but they don't do have everyone Do you think LA right wants now. another crack at Edmonton? I'd watch the hell out of that series. With with the additions LA has made in the offseason, I think that's sure. uh, just thinking out loud, you know, because yeah. that, that series was maybe a lot closer than people expected it to and be last year. LA has a very good young firm system and they have guys that they probably wouldn't be uncomfortable to move. They moved Brock Faber to get uh, to get Eric Halla. And yeah. I think Eric Halla's been a really nice fit there. And Brock, yeah. like if you have if you draft and develop well 
it's meant to help you in situations like this where, you know, you might not be able to throw all your promising 20, 21, 22, 23 year olds into your roster. But if they're good, if they're managed well, you can use them to bring in players like Eric Hall. And I think, you know, the Kings have cap space. The Kings have extensively scouted the West. Yep. And I would not be surprised if the Kings don't make a fairly significant move because they can. You know, we talk about Vegas. Vegas plays Vegas plays fast and loose with the cap because they have to. If you're L.A., L.A.'s managed it so well that they don't really need to do anything silly to make the math work. They can just go out and do something. And I think that makes them extremely dangerous for the rest of the Western Combats right now because at the very least, are the Kings going to drive up prices? Maybe. That's what Maybe. I would do. Yeah, and if, well, if you're driving up prices, you might as well just buy something, right? Just going back to the locals, they they gave us insight on the two teams. You know, watching Calgary play Vegas, I'm not scared of Vegas. Colorado right. looks like what, Colorado reminds me of what Tampa has been in the past with some of those Stanley Cup teams, right? Like, don't worry about it, we'll, we'll be there. And now we're just ramping it up. They're going to get Landis Cog back at some point, right? They're going to get. You know, they're, you know, they got Jack Johnson back, which is a luxury to have as a seventh or whatever you want to say. Um, my only question on them, it's everybody's question is goaltending, right? Yeah. We, ju- we just saw them go out and uh, they got, who the hell? I, I keep forgetting. Oh, Kincaid. Keith Kincaid. Yeah. yeah. They go out and get Kincaid. Like they've been with, without uh, Francis, they've been using Justice Anunin and uh, Jonas, Jonas, Jonas Johansson as their two slash three. And, you know, that I think that means they have to really lean on Gorgiev right yep. now. And yep. I'm sure they love to not have to do that. So I think that's the thing they're looking at. And, you know, Kincaid, you know, he's a good AHL goalie and he's a serviceable NHL goalie. Yes. And if the idea is you think you're home and cool and you want to give, you know, you don't want to use Gorgiev in both halves of back-to-back, he gives you the luxury. He gives you that ability. Yeah. So it's, it's to me, I think some fundamental changes have happened this this year, I think the trade deadline is not going to look the same way anymore. I think, and I'm really curious to see if others take the lead from Brisebois. You know, again, really good drafting team, but we played a clip from Frank Saravelli earlier today. If you really look at it, after 24 in the first round, 2.4% chance of any pick after that playing 100 games in the NHL. Screw it. Go get what we need. They got what they needed. You know, to your point, who's going to be, what are you going to do? Beat them, browbeat them? Have you seen what they've got for picks? This year, six, seven, and then yeah, they, seven. Yeah, they they don't they don't draft until uh, the sixth round this year. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh next year, right? Like that's that's all you need to know. They're in it to win it, yeah. right? Right. Um, okay. Before I let you go, are you going to be able to come on Friday? Because Friday's a big day. I don't know if you know that. Friday, I'm hoping. I, I, for Friday, it depends on when Bradshaw Living has his availability. Because uh, wow, those fax machines sometimes, right? Yeah, well, you Those know, fax machines. Uh, if if uh, they shut down, and then you know, then you gotta I'll restart so, the fax so, machine. So, fo- folks, here's basically how the NHL trade deadline works. So, yep. uh, the there's the email. The the NHL has an. Uh, it used to be a fax machine. Now you just email a scan right. a pa- right. piece of paper. Scan but the, the the central registry get, has to have your email postmarked. I think uh, two fifty nine Eastern time. Uh, right. At three three Eastern, one Mountain Time, they don't take any more trades. So you have to be in their inbox at that point. Uh, once everything's in the inbox, basically as they receive trades, they call the the, the NHL, they call the GMs, or there's usually assistant GMs, and say, "Hey, how's it going? We have we got your fat, we got your your document. Let's schedule a trade call." And then they get everyone a conference call, like say, 
you know, let's just say, you know, Rob's mm-hmm. a GM, I'm a GM. He he's he's managing the Banff Fighting Squirrels. I'm yep. I'm uh I'm running the Okotoks Oilers. Right. Uh, we'll have we'll get, get his we'll get everyone on a conference call and we just go through and confirm that we have the things we need to make the trade. Uh, that no one has no trades, no moves, whatever conditions, those kind of things. So uh, we're thinking of you, Vegas. So the longer the longer that uh, the more compl- like if it's a simple one for one, no yeah. one has no, any tr- no trades or anything. It's we're trading Bill for Joe. Okay, done. Easy yeah. trade call. You're done. Yeah. If there's any kind of complications, like Bill has a, a no move or a no trade, so we need to make sure he facts that in, or is a conditional pick. Well, do you have the pick? What are the conditions? Are we allowed to make these kind of conditions? Because they they got rid of you can't have conditions on picks that are predicated on a player resigning anymore. Uh, you know, are you retaining salary? How much? Are you allowed to retain that much? Those kind of things. So the more complex things are, and as as we've seen over the last three days. Some of these things are ridiculously complex and have many, 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 many moving parts to them. Right. Um, you're, things can things can drag on. So yeah. a lot of tra- a lot of trades will get uh, done right under the wire uh, in terms of emails will get hit send on the very last second, and then it can be you know Calgary time three or four o'clock until everything's done. What are we uh, looking forward to on FlamesNation.ca in the lead up? Well, we got two two hockey games with some pretty fun hockey teams uh, coming up. We got Boston in town, Garnet Hathaway's homecoming. Uh, speaking of a, a player who is very good for these these guys, yep. and uh, on, th- on Thursday the return of somebody that just set the NHL's all time all time all time means since two thousand five uh, yes. shot blocking record. Yes. yes. So in fairness, yeah, yeah. So it's it's uh, you know it, uh, I'll say this Bruins fans, you know we, this is a this is a, a hockey city and. For, for whatever reason, there's a lot of Bruins and Red Wings fans in this town. And so I think yep. the Saddle will be pretty fun to be in on Tuesday night. But the Leafs, fan, Leafs fans are always just nuts in the best possible way. So I think Thursday night's going to be a really fun game. And, you know, it's two last chances for this group to make a statement that, you know, maybe they're better than people think they are. Are they worse? I don't know if they're – I don't think they're nearly as bad as people well, think they are. But yeah, I don't but know. We'll see how much better they are than people think they are. Yeah. They're underperforming. Uh, You're overperforming. I appreciate this, Ryan. We will talk to you later in the week. Thanks for joining us. Take care, man. All right. Ryan Pike, uh, the managing editor for FlamesNation.ca. Always a pleasure when he joins us. And, uh, again, what do you do? If I I know what I would do. I think you know what you would do if you were the Calgary Flames. But is that what Brad Tree Living is going to do? Is that what ownership is going to want? Is that what Daryl's going to want? We will see. Boston tomorrow night, Toronto on Thursday. We're live from the Oodle Noodle studio. We're not just crazy about noodles. Gosh, no. We also put the same energy back into the community. Two locations, 1244 17th Avenue Southwest. Pickup and delivery, 105 Main Street North in Airdrie. Time now for the uh, final mile. Just some things I want to dust off before we call it a show. We'll be back with you, of course, uh, middle of the week. Um, oh, uh, it, we, I don't know if we talked about it. It came up over the weekend again. The PWPHA uh, is negotiating a CBA. That is a very strong indication that we are going to have a second Women's Professional League in North America. 
there was some thought that uh, because uh, the other league was uh, that has been operating uh, was uh, had just recently doled out a contract for one hundred seventy five thousand dollars that that might have ended the uh, two league situation in the women's game. That doesn't appear to be the case. Uh, the final tournament for the PWPHA is coming up here in March, and it's expected at that time a league will be announced. My question is whether or not there will be a Calgary team in it. Um, very curious. Uh, the Inferno have left a lasting mark. Still a lot of former players. The, the team name is uh, is synonymous in, in girls hockey and in our city. Uh, last uh, Clarkson Cup champions. Uh, I'd like to think that if... Uh, if there's a place for it, that it'll find a home. Um, but I'm very curious, very curious to see where uh, we find uh, the league and and their teams playing. I long have held the, the the belief, like many, it's not one that I came up on my own. Uh, the NHL would like to see one women's league. They'll support one women's league. Uh, but as long as there's two, they appear to be on the outside looking in. My guess is they probably have had some conversations and know where this is going but a story that we will be watching as March rolls upon us. This past weekend, kind of big in the uh, university hockey circles and a couple of friends of the program, uh, Mark Howell, the head coach of the University of Calgary Men's Dinos, uh, got a little bit of a scare uh, last Thursday when uh, Saskatchewan beat them, but the Dinos coming back and, and taking care of the Huskies. So the Dinos uh, will take on U of A in the West Final. Uh, but I believe we're off to the the Nationals and and continue to be an absolute uh, just rolling over everybody. By the way, busy weekend at UFC because I believe uh, women's basketball is also hosting playoffs against U of, uh, U of A. So the Pandas will be there over at uh, Mount Royal. The women, uh, what a series against Univers against Alberta there. Scott Rivette and his team are off to the Canada West Finals, but also booking some time in the Nationals in Montreal coming up. So. Uh, we're going to have some playoff hockey this weekend and it's going to be interesting. So two programs, uh, one from Mount Royal and one from Calgary moving on. And again, some basketball as well. So lots, lots going on. If you're, uh, if you're waking up this morning and taking a look at the trade board in the national hockey league, things have changed. They have changed rather dramatically. Um, we got a lot of deals. Timo Meyer got moved yesterday. Jack Johnson, Ivan, uh, Barbashev, uh, Dadanov got traded again. Nito Niederreiter on Saturday. Today, the uh, Leafs getting McCabe. Uh, but it was the Tanner uh, Genot trade from uh, Nashville to the Lightning. Uh, 14 points in 56 games for Tanner this year. They get, uh, Preds get back Calfoot, a first round in 25, a second rounder in 24, third, fourth, and fifth pick of Tampa Bay this year. That's an awful lot for a guy with 14 points. But he addresses a specific need that clearly Julian Brisebois and the rest of the Tampa Bay Lightning feel they have. Five days till trade deadline. I want to remind you that Frank Saravelli and Daily Faceoff will have uh, live coverage on trade deadline from 10 to 2 Calgary time. They'll have their panelists uh, all lined up. We'll do a show that day. I don't think we're going to have to worry too much about the trade deadline. I think that'll all be covered. The outcome of it, perhaps, and, and the direction in which the local hockey heroes are going, Perhaps. So lots, uh, lots to think about. One week from today, really looking forward to uh, our conversation uh, with Kelsey Snow. She's going to be in studio with us, uh, the wife of the assistant manager of the Calgary Flames, who's uh, 
Chris Snow, everybody knows his fight, but uh, his wife, Kelsey, has been by his side through the whole thing and has uh, chronicled it and told an incredible story. So we're excited to have her. Uh, some other guests, be watching social. If you watch social, you'll see uh, we're just working on some things this week, but we've got some really cool Calgary connections coming up. A uh, reminder, you can head over to my website, robkerr.ca slash jag, J-A-G, for more on this show, the podcast, and all of that. Um, as well, take this opportunity to thank Adam Seaborn for joining us, uh, Princey for doing a great job uh, uh, getting us on and, and off today. Uh, but most importantly to you guys, uh, over the weekend, the feedback was really, really uh, pre- remains pretty incredible. So I really appreciate you guys taking a listen. Uh, and I'll say this all the time. If if you heard something you didn't like, if it's not for you, give it a couple weeks, come back and see if it's fixed. Uh, but if you like it, tell a friend, rate it, review it, all those sort of things. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday. The Barn Burner is back with you tomorrow. We'll see everybody. Thanks for joining us on Just a Game. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.